If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Nahum. This is number seven of the Minor Prophets. We are over halfway through. So number seven of the book of Nahum. And now here's the awesome thing that we've been able to do through the last few weeks. What happens with the Minor Prophets is that they paint a picture of who God is. We get to see the character of God. And we're going to see this again in this book. And so I want you today, it's only three chapters long in the Old Testament, the book of Nahum. So real quick, Nahum is speaking to a people that another minor prophet already spoke to. If you remember the book of Jonah, Jonah preached against Nineveh. Nineveh responds and believes in God. But about a century later, Nahum comes and we see Nineveh again. No fear of the Lord, doing what they want to, following after their own desires. And God is about to bring judgment. Nahum gets to preach the message Jonah wanted to. And yet what we see is the scary reality of judgment. And a lot of times you may have heard about God's judgment, but it doesn't affect you personally. No fear of God. Judgment is something sometime far off. So I want us to be careful as we dig into the book of Nahum. You see a country, Assyria, an empire that was untouchable for decade after decade. But God's judgment was coming. And we see that no one, no country lasts forever, but all will be held accountable before God. And that should move us to respond to Him. So I want us to avoid two errors when it comes to God's judgment. One is making the mistake that it's not coming. The idea that it's sometime in the future. Um, we've been alive for however many years you've been alive, and because God hasn't come back yet, Jesus hasn't returned yet, you haven't faced judgment yet, you won't. It reminds me of Friday night. Mike, how long did we practice? How many months have we practiced? A few? Right, we finally got clear, we did some conditioning, hundreds of sprints, and we told guys, hey, listen, you've got to eat healthy, you need to drink water, you need to run when we run hard, you can't just jog and go through the motions, you need to do something extra on the weekends and after practice to get in shape, because game day is coming. And a lot of times our guys will look, well, the game's four weeks away, it's a month away, it's two weeks away, I can get in shape then. Well, we found out Friday... We weren't in very good shape. We had guys cramp up, guys tap out. It's tired in the second quarter. For those without any football experience or don't know the game, there's four quarters to a game. If you get tired in the second, you're in trouble. And that was us. And you can't hide in a game. You can hide during sprints. You can jog. But in a game, if you take a playoff, you might get pushed across the field. You'll definitely miss a tackle. And you see, the game day was coming, and we thought we had more time. We don't want to make that mistake with God's judgment. God's judgment is always coming later. I don't have to worry about it now. No, this is the reality. Judgment is coming. So respond to the Word of God. That's one thing you see in name. The second one is that we think that we can escape. We can hide. There is no hiding from the eyes of Christ. He sees everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything good and bad you have done. And when you stand before Him, you will be judged if you stand on your own. 
I tried to drive this point home once. Uh, if you guys know Upward Basketball, it's a league for uh, little kids playing basketball. And, and I was able to, to speak during the halftime of games. And during the halftime, I said, you know what, we'll make a deal. I am willing to pay $100 to anyone who can make 103 point shots in a row. Now, I was not worried about anybody making 103 point shots in a row. I didn't have $100 on me. I never carry that much cash. First game, there was a confident middle school boy. He comes up, nothing but air. I'm like, oh, you're out. Next, we had a high school girl. She came up, banked the first one in. I thought, I think I'm safe. I don't think she'll do that 100 times. The second one, clank off the rim. The third game, we had a high school guy. He was actually one of the high school basketball players, could shoot a little bit. He hit three in a row when the crowd starts going nuts. I'm like, we got to get to 100. This isn't happening. And sure enough, before we even got to five, he had missed. You see, I set a standard that nobody's going to hit. Nobody's going to make 103 point shots in a row. You're not going to meet that standard. God set a standard that no one will meet. No matter how good you think you are, the standard is perfection. God says, be holy as I am holy. And the Bible makes it clear we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so those are the two scary realities you see in the book of Nahum. God will judge and there is no escape on your own. Which brings us to the gospel. And you'll see this in Nahum. Talking about how God is a stronghold for those who are in trouble. How God can rescue. How you can have peace with God. But it's not based on something you do, it's based on something Jesus has done for you. So judgment doesn't have to be scary, because you can know the judge as your Savior. And so that's what is the beautiful picture Nahum paints. So many of you have heard that several, several times. Some of you, this is the first time you've heard something like that about judgment and how Jesus can be your Savior. This is what I'm asking God to do today. That as we hear His Word, we respond and that it bears fruit in our lives. We don't leave the same as when we came in today. God has a Word for you. God has a Word for me. Let's hear from Him and respond. Alright, let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the book of Nahum. Lord, I pray that we see Your glory, that You change us, that You be glorified in how we respond to Your Word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, number one, the one thing I want us to look at is the character of God that we see in the first eight verses of Nahum. And I want you to think about how character has influenced your life through the years. Think about how somebody's character has influenced your life through the years. And, and one illustration that, that drives us home is coaching. So in my athletic career, I've had all sorts of coaches. I've had yellers and I've had teachers. I've had coaches that were patient, those with short fuses. And I think these are two good examples of coaches and their character. Bobby Knight, what is he known for? Known for temper tantrums. He'll throw a chair, he'll choke a player, right? He's always angry. And that influences the team. And then you have a guy like Tony Dungy, who holds people accountable, but will also be characterized by grace and giving second chances. And I don't know about you, but the character influences the team. 
If you've ever played for a coach with a short fuse, you're always nervous about making a mistake. Think about how coaches have influenced your life based on their character. Now, another example, let's go to the marriage relationship. Think about how the character of a husband, the character of a wife, influences the marriage. Is a husband patient? Is he kind? Does he help? Character influences the marriage relationship. Think about in the home. Think about the character of a father. Is he present or is he absent? Does he put himself last or is he there to be served by his family? Think about the mother. Is she loving? Is she kind to her children? Does she work hard? Think about the character of a child. Many of you have raised children. Some of us are in the process of raising children. The character of a child can make or break a home. Is the child rebellious? It influences the home. Is the child respectful? It influences the home. And so you have all of these examples of how different people have influenced your life based on their character. And I want you to know this. There's somebody's character that will have the greatest influence on your life, and there's no comparison. And that's the character of God. Who God is and how you answer that question is the most important question you can answer. The God we just sung to, we need to know, and here's the awesome part, He's revealed Himself to us through His Word. And Nahum here gives us nine character traits that we can know about our God. Alright, so this is very, very important to understand. This is who God is. And so when we worship, let's not worship a God made up in our own mind. Some old guy in the clouds. Let's worship the God of the Bible, how He has revealed Himself to be. This is who God is. This is who we worship. And we need to know Him. We need to know His character. So we start off, verse 2. This would probably not be a character trait many of you would describe God. And yet, again and again in the Bible, God describes Himself as this. Verse 2, the Lord is a jealous God. The Lord is a jealous God. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God cares about His glory. And He is jealous that His creation glorifies Him. Now, I want you to think, when you think of jealousy, it's not like you and I think of jealousy. Like when Mr. Fight pulls up in his motorcycle and parks next to my truck, I'm a little jealous of the motorcycle. That's not what God is talking about here. God is jealous for His people, and God is jealous for His glory. Now, here's the awesome part. When you glorify God, your heart will be satisfied. God created you to glorify Him. Your deepest satisfaction will be found in Him. And He longs for His people to worship Him. Don't waste it on things that were created. He's jealous for His glory. He won't share that with anybody. And He's jealous for His people. He protects those who are His. So not only is the Lord a jealous God, the Lord is also an avenging God. And, and I wonder how much we believe this. This is one that, that hits me because a lot of times when I am wronged, I want to make sure I make it right. I want to take power into my own hands. But this is a truth that we see again and again in Scripture. See this in verse 2. The Lord is 
an avenging God, a jealous God, an avenging God, but then he also is avenging and wrathful. So two times in one verse we see that God will make right what is wrong. He will avenge the wrongs that have been made. And a lot of times we have to be careful here because we think people get away with it. Like when you can say we look at Hitler and millions of people died at his hands and his death was like that. And we think, well, he got off easy. But death's not the end. After you die, you face Jesus as judge. And he is an avenging God and he will pour out justice. And so I, I see this and, and I love in Romans 12, 19. Um, we talked a little bit about this with football because we, we want to push our guys to overcome evil with good. And in that chapter, in Romans 12, it has verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never? That's what... Paul is saying, that's what the Word of God says. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so for me, this becomes a trust issue. If I don't do something about it, nobody else will. But here what I can see is I can pray to God and I can trust Him to move and make the wrongs committed against me right. And that's who God is. Vengeance belongs to Him. You see, sometimes when we dole out retribution, when we dole out vengeance, it's not righteous. Sometimes we go to the extreme. So if someone asks Ava out on a date, my vengeance might not be fair. Well, I'm going to sit by you in the car. I'm going to ride in the back seat. If he tries to hold your hand, I'm going to smack him. Right? That's probably not fair. Now, that's a silly illustration, but if you take that on down the road, that's how we operate. It's hard for us to see clearly. God never has that problem. And we can trust that he will act and he will repay. Nobody gets away with it. That's who our God is. God is jealous. God is avenging. And then number three, the Lord is wrathful. So if I asked you to describe the character of God, a lot of times you hear loving, peaceful, gentle, kind. But he's also all of these. You see, sometimes we have a little view of God when we need to have a huge picture of who God is. And His wrath is His righteous anger against evil. I'm glad God is a God of wrath. He doesn't let evil last. He doesn't let anybody get away with it. And judgment is coming. God is holy. His anger towards sin is righteous. And He will defend the glory of His people. That is what's happening here. And so when Judah hears that God is a God of wrath, he knows Nineveh, who has been brutally traumatizing the people, taking them prisoner, putting them to death, making them pay tribute. They know that, hey, things are about to be made right. That's what you see as the Lord is wrathful. But not only that, then it starts to turn. The Lord is slow to anger. You see that in verse 3. I love that the Lord is slow to anger. He's patient. Especially with those who don't get it right on the first time, which is all of us in the room. You see His patience with Nineveh. So just a little bit of history on Nineveh. Um, Assyria was the biggest empire in the land in this day. And they would come to your neighborhood, whoop you, put to death your warriors, and take whatever they wanted. They would destroy your city and laugh as they left. 
They are brutal people. And just to, to keep it PG in the room, you can look at how they treated their prisoners of war. And Judah and Israel are constantly having to give up their wealth and their food and their people to this nation. And now here's the crazy part. Do you guys know about the Assyrian Empire today? It's not there. You know why? Because God is jealous for His people and His glory. God will avenge the wrongs that have been done. God is a God of wrath. But man, we see He's slow to anger. Even with Assyria, He sends a message through Jonah. Hey, you're going to be destroyed unless you turn. They turn, and then a hundred years later, when they not, are not following God, when they're going back to what they were doing, finally judgment comes. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever gone to a sauna, right, and you turn the heat up and you start sweating, you can only stay in there so long, right, and then your body gets dehydrated. Well, look at the Israelites. Think about what they went through. They were in slavery in Egypt for a long time. They were in the sauna. And then you get Assyria. They're in the sauna decade after decade, year after year. Do you think they're aggravated that God is a God that's slow to anger? I wonder if they're asking how long. And maybe that's you. Maybe you have been wronged in your life and you're wondering, God, do you see this? What are you waiting on? I'm not being treated right here. We know this. God's not blind. God will act. But let us be thankful that He's slow to anger. That's what we would want for ourselves. And then we see why He's slow to anger right here, but then also in Ezekiel 33, it says this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from you, your evil ways, for why shall you die? So, so that's Old Testament. Well, do you guys anything in the New Testament? In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but should reach repentance. Now listen, this is my prayer, because there's a lot of people in our neighborhoods, in my family, in the high school right down the street, that have not reached repentance yet. They don't know Jesus as Lord. And I'm so thankful God is patient, slow to anger, calling them to Himself so that they could repent and be saved. I'm glad He's patient. Glad He was patient with me. I didn't get it the first time I heard the Gospel. It had to happen again and again and again. I'm thankful for God's patience. So He's slow to anger, but then we see He's great in power. Verses 3-5 through five cover this. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. Assyria was this massive empire and God speaks and it's destroyed. You don't remember it anymore. No nation could touch this country. God speaks and it is destroyed. He's great in power and He gives examples of His creation. He can dry up the rivers. He can make the forests wither. The mountains quake before Him. The hills melt. Nothing can stand before God. Do you have that type of picture of the glory of God? I think our picture of God in our heads is way too small. It's way too small. So we see that the Lord is great in power, but then we also see in verse 7, the Lord is good. He doesn't throw temper tantrums and 
hurts people because he's mad. It's always righteous. It's always good when God moves. His actions are always good and he can do no other. But then we also see he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Man, I want to know that. You ever walked through the day of trouble? Have you ever thought you could depend on someone or something and you go to lean on that and it can't hold you? You'll never have to worry about that with God. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. In the middle of COVID-19 and injustice, you can run to God and know that you can be safe because He's a stronghold for those who run to Him in the day of trouble. He was a stronghold for Judah while the Assyrians were running rampant. And He's a stronghold for us today. Evil will not overcome you if your refuge is God. And then we see the Lord is personal. I love this verse. The second part of verse 7, He knows those who take refuge in Him. He knows those who take refuge in Him. So, there's a couple of things. Ava, Balin, and Camden, I know them by name. Now, there's girls in our neighborhood that I have no idea who they are, nor their names, what grade they're in, where they stay. But I know those who are mine. Now, here's the cool part. God does the same thing for His children. The God of this universe, who has great power, who is always good, knows His people by name. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's how personal God is. He knows when you're suffering. He knows when things are going good. He knows when things are going bad. And He's a stronghold because He knows you. I love this. You, you want to know what picture this reminds me of in the New Testament? It reminds me when Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Don't you love that picture? Shepherd protecting his sheep, calling them by name. That's what Jesus does for his people. You're not a stranger to God. He knows you by name. And then finally, we see the Lord is righteous. He will destroy evil fully and finally. Evil will not have the last word. And so my question to you is, what is your experience before God. As you walk through this, I don't want to know God as judge. I don't want to know God in His wrath or in His avenging acts. I want to run to Him as a stronghold. I want to run to Him being covered in Christ. And I'll leave you with this picture. I think a lot of times what happens is we underestimate the glory and holiness of God we brush that aside and we underestimate the destructiveness of our own sin. So there's two things we hold in low regard. And this is a dangerous thing. Uh, God's a big deal, but he doesn't really care what I do or what I say. I'm better than a lot of people. I haven't killed anybody. So I'm going to be all right before God. That's minimizing the holiness and glory of God. But it also minimizes our sin. We think we're better than we are. We, we think we deserve God's grace. And, and I often, I, I'll put it to you uh, this way. Lake Okeechobee. It's a, a lake in Florida. I've only been there once. My aunt used to live down there in Florida. Beautiful lake. It is 30 miles wide. Now, when I look on the map, it's not that impressive. Right? Look on the map. It's a little dot in Florida. I could tell you, you know what? I could swim across that lake. No breaks. I can knock that out. 
I could swim across that lake, but started doing a little research. There are some snakes that have moved into the area. There was a hurricane, Hurricane Andrew, I believe what it was, and the Burmese python got loose. So this lake has the Burmese python. It also has water moccasins, which are aggressive, poisonous snakes. Not to mention 30 miles wide. You wonder what happens though? When you get down there, let's say you're on this boat looking across, that's Lake Okeechobee. You can see a couple of buildings to the right, but to the left, you can't see anything but water. Or you get on the shore and you look out as the sun's setting and all you see is water. When you see the bigness of this lake, you realize, or I realize, I'm not making it. I'm not making it. What Nahum is doing here is showing the greatness and bigness of God and how we don't measure up. I'm not making it. The only way I make it across the lake is if someone has a boat or a canoe and can help me across. And the only way that I can meet the standard God has set, His holiness, is if He came and would be my righteousness. That's exactly what Jesus has done. In Christ, God is a stronghold for those who rest in Jesus. Trouble, evil, none of that can touch you. Rest in Christ. So that is who God is. That is the character of God. And then I'm going to leave you with two simple questions. Number one, how do you respond to the Word of God? How do you respond to the Word of God? So Nahum chapter 2 and chapter 3 is Nahum saying, Hey, Nineveh, this is how you're going to pay. This is how God is going to judge. What you did to other countries, a country is going to do to you. What you celebrated in your victory, another country will celebrate as they conquer you. And so I want you to see Nineveh responded to God's word two times and they were drastically different. And Jonah, the king of the city, repents. It's a picture of him tearing his clothes and, and pouring out dust and, and he's repenting and turning to God. But a hundred years later, there's no response. They don't respond to the word of God. What happened in those years? Did they think Jonah was joking when... God said, hey, destruction is coming if you continue in your wicked ways. Did they forget about God? How do you respond to the word of God? There's a, a parable in the New Testament that it shows four ways to respond. It shows four ways to respond. You guys remember this? We've gone over this before. Right? There's a, a farmer, he's throwing out seed, and that seed is the word of God. And the first type of soil is the path. Right? The, the word of God hits the path. But it doesn't bear any fruit. The Bible says in Luke 8.12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. The devil comes, takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And that's happening. That's happening. As we speak the word of God, people, eh, that's not for me. I'm, I'm not listening. Um, you know what? I'm going to be on social media. I'm not paying attention to the word of God. Yeah, I've got a Bible. It's dusty. I don't care. I'd rather watch Netflix. Right? And it's, it's Satan taking away any desire for the word, and there's no fruit, there's no salvation. And, and that's one group of people. And the scary reality is that is the reality of some of the people we come in contact with. So one thing that I pray for is that God breaks up that hard ground. I never ever wanted to see people stay here on this path. But then there's a second group of here's. And those are, the, those are those that uh, seed falls on the rocks, on the stones. And we see the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. 
They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. COVID-19 has been a time of testing, right? Because here's the deal. What happens with COVID-19 is it gives you more time at home. And so my question is, how are spiritual disciplines going at home? Have you spent more time in the Word? Are you spending more time doing other things that are wasting your time? How have you responded to the Word of God during COVID-19? Because this is a time of testing. It'll test your marriage. It'll test your family. It'll test your work. And it'll test your love for God. And what we're finding out is there were a lot of people that heard the Word, but with the time of testing, they've left not responded to the Word. Don't be those who hear like those on the stones. Then there's a, another group, the, the word that falls on the thorns. And what happens with the thorns is, and, and this, so Pope, this is what I think about our high school students, right? Because we used to have a ton of high school students year in, year out. Then what will happen, they'll graduate. And, and we're not unique. A lot of churches have this same problem. So the seed that falls on the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out. Why are they choked out? By the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And so they hear it, and they respond with joy, but there's a lot of things that will come your way. And, and when you get to college, and as you're in high school, you got to get jobs, and then you deal with girlfriends, and there's, there's so many things coming your way. you got to save money to get cars, and all of a sudden what you'll see is what we're good now become better than God in your life, and those cares choke the Word of God out of their lives so that they forget about God. This is something we need to be praying for one another that this never happens to any of us. And don't think that it can't. Midlife crisis happened because of this, this type of hearing. There's a lot of people that struggle with this right here. That's why I think you see in Timothy, it says, keep a close watch on your life and what you believe. That's why you see in Hebrews, be careful lest you drift away. You see, no one runs away from God on purpose quickly, at least for the most part. It's usually a slow drift. It's a day, it's a week, it's a month at a time. And before you know it, you wonder, where did I, how did I get here? So there's three ways to respond to the word right there. None of them, none of them bring life, only destruction. And what we know with Nineveh, they didn't respond to God to bring life. It only brought destruction. But there's a fourth way to respond to the word of God. And that's the seed. That's when the word hits the good soil. And what happens with the good soil is they are those who on hearing the word, hold it fast and in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, th this is real quick. You, you can't and this is the hard part with coaching and teaching. You ask if, if guys understand what we're saying. But it, you know they understand not if they say yes, but if they do what you've asked them to do. And the same is true with the Word of God. A lot of people will say they believe in Jesus, but there's zero fruit in their life. Which if you read James, lets you know that maybe they don't believe Jesus. Those who respond to the Word of God will be those who are bearing fruit. And there's so many ways that you can bear fruit. You can be growing in patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. You can bear fruit in sharing Christ with others, which we're getting ready to talk about, sharing the gospel. 
You can bear fruit by telling others what you hear from the Word of God. So last week we talked about what does God require? Three things. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. Did we do that this week? That's one way we could have borne fruit from last week. And now this week, how are we going to take the word that we hear today and bear fruit? And so how do you hear, how do you respond to the word? I think that's an interesting question to ask. If you're just punching the time clock, if you're not bearing any fruit, be careful. Look at how you hear the word of God. Nahum gives us that warning. Jonah came, the people responded, life. Nahum comes, no response, death. Jesus asked the same question. Crowds were leaving him because uh, they didn't like what he was saying. There were some tough sayings. And, and then he turns around and he's got his boys. He's got his disciples. And, and this is what he asked him. Do you want to go away as well? Everybody's leaving. And he asked them, you guys want to go? And, and I love Peter's answer. He goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Peter understood that no one else has the words for eternal life. And he believed, therefore he lived. How do you respond to the Word of God? Which leads me to the final question, what will you do with the Gospel? What will you do with the Gospel? Number one, you have to believe the Gospel. And the Gospel is the good news. So Nahum is preaching, and check this out. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him, but with an overflowing flood, He will make, complete end, make a complete end of the adversaries. So there's two groups of people. Those who know God as a stronghold, as a rescue, as peace, and those who are destroyed. And then we keep reading in verse 15. Behold, upon the mountains the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace. The Gospel is the Gospel of peace because on our own, we stand condemned. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were rebelling and running from God, Jesus comes and dies for us. He takes our place so that in Him, there is now no condemnation. There's no judgment because He paid for it. That's the beautiful picture that you see in Nahum. What happens to Nineveh is dangerous, destroys the nation. That's scary. And yet something worse than what happened to Nineveh is coming for us in our sin. And you catch a glimpse of it on the cross. Where Jesus goes and takes the wrath of the Father over sin and pays for it. And He says, hey, if you believe, you can be forgiven. Your sin has been paid for. You see how good the good news is? The judgment that faced Nineveh is the same judgment that we're under. And yet we see in Christ, grace is available. Have you ever believed the gospel? Are you depending on yourself to save you? Did you know that God will judge you one day? But for those in Christ, the judge is your Savior. You'll be found not guilty. Sin has been paid for. And then I want to close with this. It talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Does that remind anybody of a verse in the New Testament? 
I always think it's weird. Nobody's feet are beautiful. Right? You want to know what they're saying? They love the sight of those that bring good news. They love the sight of those who bring good news. And Paul hits on this. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's some good news. Anybody, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he keeps going. And in verse 14, we see a little bit of a problem. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? Right? You can't call on somebody who they, you don't know, you don't believe. And then he goes, how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so there's two things, two ways I want you to respond this morning. Number one, if you've never believed the gospel, do it today. That is the good news. Judgment is real. God is scary. In his power, in his holiness, when good dudes see God's glory, they hit their face. That's the story of Isaiah. That's the story of Job. That's the story of you and me. He doesn't have to be scary. He can be your father in Christ. Believe the gospel. But then secondly, I want our church to be filled with people who have beautiful feet. Because people are rejoicing because they're hearing the good news. Um, uh, Shooks, go to that next slide, the, the sequence. This isn't an option. If you know Jesus, Jesus told his followers to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He tells his followers to go and make disciples, teaching to observe all that he commanded. This is not, we've been sent. If we do this, preach, people will hear, when they hear, some will believe. The problem is this part. Now, real quick with the preaching. A lot of times people think, well, I'm not a pastor. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying, speak the gospel. Tell people about the God they can call on about the God who can be a stronghold for them. Tell them about what Jesus has done for you. So the only domino that doesn't fall in this sequence are Jesus' followers not speaking the gospel. Everything else follows the sequence. God sent us. That's happened. When people speak, people will hear. As they hear the gospel, people respond. And then you get the reputation of having beautiful feet. Why? Because you've brought good news. Do you guys know how hopeless the world would be without Christ? There's not much joy apart from Christ. Nothing lasts. You'll constantly look for something better. Something to bring you meaning. You see the despair without Jesus? You want to know why people turn to drugs? Or turn to sex? Or turn to money? All the garbage that doesn't last? Because they don't know Christ. Constantly searching but never finding. For those of us that hold the gospel, we know that God is our stronghold. We know that Jesus is our Savior. That He knows us by name. That He went to the cross to die for you and for me. To ransom us out of bondage, out of judgment. Paid for that in full. So that now there's no condemnation. That hope should lead us to tell others about the hope they can have. So if you respond to the Word of God, let us bear fruit in the speaking of the Gospel. If you've never responded to the Gospel, today's a good day. Believe in Jesus. 
And then for those who have believed in Jesus, let us go. Let us go and share the gospel. There's so many people that you'll come in contact with this week. Tell somebody about Jesus. That they can have peace with God. That's the message of Nahum. That's the gospel according to Nahum. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word from a small book in the Old Testament. Lord, help us see your truth. Lord, help us respond. Help us bear fruit. Lord, I pray if anyone here has not turned to you, that they do so today, that they don't put it off. And then, Father, I pray that you give us boldness and an urgency to share the gospel with the people we come in contact with. I pray that we fill Covington up with the good news of Jesus. Lord, thank you for being a stronghold for us because this is a time of trouble. Help us see your glory. Help us spread the good news. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.